Hey, welcome once again to Hollywood Breaks. Keith and I are here with you, uh, sharing our insights that we kind of capture in the industry along the way. I can see that Keith has changed locations. Looks like you're in a Philadelphia-esque location with brick and colonial siding. Yep, yep. I returned to Philadelphia. That, that is true. Looks beautiful. Beautiful day. You know, like we're, can't you feel the end of summer kind of hitting us here? Uh, and I'll say, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but these are the, this is that movie season that I kind of love, that beginning of the fall movie season, like the good stuff's about ready to roll in, the Oscars are about ready to roll in. Season, yeah. I don't know if I'm feeling that this year. I think that it's hitting me early, it's a, and it's a surprise because I don't well, have my infu infusion of summer movies under my yeah, belt. Yeah, I mean, well, it's because we really haven't had a summer movie season. Like yeah. it got pushed more or less to next year in a lot of ways. And the Oscar season has been extended. So it, it, it really is going to be, it's very different this year than it has been in years past for sure. Yeah. I think maybe that's my summer slump is that I don't have the big block box office movies that I, um, well, I'm August is traditionally the, they, they say traditionally the dumping ground. So I don't know if you'd be going to the movies a lot in August anyway, Tim, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the, uh, you're, you're probably right. It's the one where we're all kind of uh, putting our kids back to school and yes. a little bit more distracted. But yes. uh, it's the change of season and the knowing that it's about ready to come. It's maybe yeah. like pre-Christmas season for the Oscar moviegoers because you know the good stuff's coming out. Yeah. Yep. Well, I uh, hope you're, you're, all your season's going well and, the, and you're moving back and forth going well. You know, last week we didn't record because... Nope. Probably because if you were like me, you were binge watching all the Emmy nominations. Yes, had to get through all the Emmys. Yep, 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 yep. Had to had to had to watch all the shows so I could uh, cast my vote. So now, now is this one of those things where we don't ask who we vote for? Kind of like the president. It's it's rude to ask. Or are, are you willing no. to give up a couple of Emmy picks that you put out there? I, I, I'm I'm happy to put out the picks. I I mean. Um, I'll go first if that makes it easier for you. And I only, I, I maybe voted in five categories because I can only watch so much. And yeah, I mean, I could, I, yeah, you can only get so, through so much because it is a lot and they don't give you a ton of time to vote. Um, so I, I'll start with the biggies. So best drama, Succession got my vote. Uh, I oh. absolutely adore that. I love that show. I think last season was by far the best on TV. The acting is spectacular. To be fair, I may have a little bit of bias since I worked for Murdoch for so many years, and it is somewhat Murdochian and it's sort of telling a tale of a family of uh, warring siblings and this grand, you know, Puba sitting atop, very similar to the Murdochs. Yeah. Um, and the Redstones. And it kind of plays into what we've talked about here, sort of the end of an era of the major media moguls. Um, so that one got my vote. And then for comedy, I, I went with Schitt's Creek. Now I have to be fair. I discovered this because a lot of people were talking about it because it was at the end of the last season. And I found the show absolutely hysterical. Of course, being a movie buff, I have a soft spot in my heart for Catherine O'Hara. I think she's a fantastic comedic actress. Loved her ever since Beetlejuice, um, and all the Christopher Guest movies and, you know, um, Levy is the same way for me. Uh, I think he's a great actor and, you know, his son's great. So those are my two big picks. Um, I like love Succession. I think that uh, <clears throat> that's probably everyone's biggest pick. There's no kind of no doubt that the, the drama on that show, what they're doing with it. Um, maybe also they're appealing a little bit to us Hollywood people. 
yeah. almost feel like La La Land had a, the same kind of appeal, like you live it out a little bit. Yeah. Succession feels very insider in yeah. its presentation. Well, that's why we started doing this. We want everyone to have the inside info. <laughs> that's exactly right. We're playing up on that. <laughs> that's it. Right. Everybody needs this information. This is the game we're going to play. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the one I had a difficulty uh, choosing between the two. Well, so in the categories, I get to choose um, opening credits is one of the ones that yep. we use. And I'm not going to reveal that because right. all of them are good. And some of them are my clients. So I'm not going to uh, touch Ooh. that. But I'll say, what a great category this year. And interesting, yep. the nominees, some of the traditional nominees weren't, weren't in the in, in the. Um, and they're running. It's so interesting because I, 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 and this might be a little bit of a segue, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Um, I, from a sort of a design perspective, the opening credit sequences are absolutely gorgeous for the most part. But I'm going to be honest with you. I miss theme songs. Like when they used to just have. <laughs> like wasn't buddies kind of a thing? <laughs> I'm thinking like Golden Girls, kind of, you know, Cosby Show, just like a great theme song that gets you psyched for watching the show. They don't do those anymore. I miss that. I miss sort of like... And like, yeah, like I guess the Friends, the Friends song. I mean, that's Friends, like, we all know it from... really kind of the last one. Like, think about Friends, Cheers, Frasier. Yeah. I mean, all had great... I mean, I think there's a way to combine the two. Like, I think Fra uh, Cheers definitely sort of had a design to it. it. Showed all those kind of paintings that you see in a bar and with the great theme song. Friends was very sort of like... Yeah, just edited. Yeah. Theme song with just the cast at a fountain. So, I mean, it's like, but I, I you know, I don't want to. No, that's a good call. It. My kids and my kids love the TV series Psych. I think it was an AMC show. It's on, on um, Amazon. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a quirky, funny comedy, Sherlock Holmesy kind of a thing, right? Kind of goofy. Yeah. And they have their uh, beginning. And uh, as we watch it, we sit down and watch it, we all kind of sing along to the theme song. There really is something that attaches the song and that little intro segment. Yeah. Intro. Yeah, that's, well, I think most of this show, most of these nominees are a drama series. Like that's the, the, the group there. But I'll say it's, it's pretty interesting. Some of them blend together. You almost feel like, oh, we all know what it looks like and you, and you choose along the way. I love, I love the ones that break away and are unique and that's where my yep. choices came from. Yep. The one I had a hard time choosing between was, um, what was the uh, sh uh, drama series um, category? And I had a difficulty choosing between the show Unbelievable, which is about uh, a serial killer and these two women cops that got together did it. Yep. Such a, a man, oh man, I could not great stop show. watching it. Great, great. great. Yep. And Mrs. America. I truly love that that Mrs. America, it almost had the protagonist was the conservative and she yeah. was dealing with what it meant to be a woman in America. And then of course she was battling the like the liberal front yeah, that was doing the ERA. Yep. It was complex. Like they really did a good job of making all these women complex and understanding all sides of the issue. I just thought that was so great. So I had a difficulty choosing between the two of them. Um, but I did I actually ended up choosing unbelievable because I thought yeah, I, 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 that, was, that was the one I went with because that show was just, I mean, my wife and I watched it together and it was, it was great. And the acting was, you know, spectacular. Yeah. Mrs. America, I enjoyed, although at times I felt it was a little too sort of a his, history lesson. It, there wasn't enough drama driving it. 
Um, some of the portrayals were a little bit off base in my opinion, but you know, yeah, that's, yeah you're going to have that anytime you get in sort of a political type story, you're going to have people who are going to feel that one side was portrayed differently than in actuality it wasn't yeah and they, it, uh, the format that they were running i mean they're trying to tell the the 10 years yeah. of the era so you're yeah. right they had a little bit of a formula that they're playing with i yeah. just love the complexity of the characters i, I thought really? what a great what a great job and yeah. a lot of sympathy for all sides which is very difficult to kind of hear in today's political yes. uh, um, situation Absolutely. And, uh, and they did like both sides were, could easily be heard now of course i know enough closed-minded people that they would totally beat me up one way or another yeah but, uh, i thought that whoever they'll get some hate i'm sure and and the, each episode had different directors or at least it, yeah. uh, it, it funneled through directors so to keep that yeah. integrity through directors yeah. by director was pretty great well uh emmy emmy choices aside a uh, very busy week in the kind of industry uh, we've been collecting up the pieces and this is the week you've been talking about it for now nearly a month um, yep. is coming out. And, um, you know, what are your feelings? Do you think, what, what, what are we going to get out of tenant? Are we going to see the, the new Hollywood play itself out in the next coming weeks? You know, I think, well, I, you know, so this is the weekend for the domestic release of tenant. Um, it had a, a, a pretty decent international run in about 40 markets, 53 million, which is 13 more, 13, million more than what they were originally forecasted, which is, which is great. I mean, I, I, I really am rooting for the movie to work. Um, it's about 67, I think it's about almost 70% of theaters in the US are open now. New York and LA are still closed, which is a bit of a, a struggle. Um, so I think what we're really looking to see this coming week is not necessarily because the, the, the again, as the theme of this discussion has always been like everything's flipped on its head uh, totally. because of the pandemic and so many changes that were Hollywood was so resistant to make have been forced upon them. But I think the, the saying has always been um, opening weekend is marketing's job. The rest is the movie's job. Now we're kind of looking at a time where it's really up to the movie. I mean, I don't want to begrudge Blair Rich and her team. I think they've done a fantastic job with what they've been the hand they've been dealt um in terms of starting up you know the excitement for it then pulling back and then starting up again then pulling back again so I, I think it's great for them that they finally have a date to hit um so i think really it's going to be the movie's job right now yeah. sort of are people really going to look at this and feel like this is the kind of movie i need to get out of my house and go see it yeah and think about the challenge of that um, just that one proposition because you know we can be snookered into a bunch of really great marketing and images of actors and you know big promotional items and kind of push in the movie theater because it's the talk of the town before the movie's even released yeah um, but often the the drop-off of opening weekend I mean like a, a fair drop-off you know 50 60 even 70 percent a drop-off from the opening weekend to continue the next weekend you know, that's a, those are legitimate numbers in the film industry. And, yeah. and, and uh, the economics of the industry work, play itself into it. The studio, studio gets paid more for the opening weekends. The theaters get paid more for the, for the back end. Yeah. Yeah. But the point you're making about word of mouth, think about how difficult it is for a person, like right now in our situations, to be able to, like the movie has to be so good, you're telling someone else who's, you know, quarantined and possibly afraid of other people, whatever, saying to them, 
no, you have to get out of the house and go into a movie theater and watch this movie. Yeah. It's, it's that good. Exactly. And if the movie can break that, that mold, I mean, we might, be, we might be free in our minds from stupid COVID. Chris Nolan might be the savior <laughs> if he does that, that right. But word of yeah. mouth, it definitely is the, prob- is the uh, issue to face. Well, he's always been an evangelist of the theatrical experience. Um, and he makes movies that he feels people need to see in theaters. Um, you know, he uses IMAX movie cameras for a lot of his shoots um, so that he did this with Dark Knight. He did this with uh, Dark Knight Returns where there's about six to 10 minutes of footage that is shot in IMAX. So it fills the whole screen of an IMAX, of an IMAX screen. It's spectacular. And it's why you go to the movies. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I was reminded not a couple of week, days ago from an article um, of, a, of a moment in the 2017 CinemaCon when then head of marketing Sue Kroll got up and CinemaCon for those listeners who don't know is the annual confab in Vegas where all the distributor execs get together, even the mom and pops and the big boys, they all get together. And it's really a time for the, uh, the, the exhibitors and distributors to sort of lay it all out and say how much we're into the theatrical experience. And Sue Crow got up to her credit and said, listen guys, we need to start looking at the windows here. This is not a realistic model to keep sticking to the 90 day. This was a 2017, mind you. Uh, this is not, realistic for us to stick to the 90 day window. Christopher Nolan got up shortly thereafter and said, no, that's not, no, we, we're, <laughs> we're all in for the theatrical experience. And that just goes to show you the power of someone like a Christopher Nolan. And I think yeah. he is so big on the theatrical experience. And I think he was pushing Warner Brothers to commit and just say, this is a movie that needs to be th- seen in theaters. And Sarnoff, who's the newly appointed head of basically Warner Media content, like all of the creative creators and uh, networks in the Warner Media bag of tricks, came out yesterday in an interview with Deadline Hollywood and basically said, "This is a movie that needs to be." Th- th- I just saw it last night, and it's a theatrical experience. So that's their mo, and I think Christopher Nolan is pushing that. And to your point about word of mouth, I think it's really going to come down to that. It's it's not going to necessarily be. It obviously, if it's a good movie, that's a part of it. But I think. In this environment, it's also about, is this enough, given all the plethora of, of entertainment options at my fingertips right now, with Peacock, with Hulu, with yeah. HBO Max, Disney Plus, do I need to go to a theater? And well, that, I think, is going to have to be a part of the word of mouth messaging. And I, if, if, if it were me, and I was sort of sitting in Blair Rich's chair, um, aside from probably taking you know a million uh, Maloxes and drinking pep, uh, Pepto like it's water, I would probably say that you would want to try to get as many screen reactions from people as possible. Just be like, oh my God, it's so great to be back in a theater. Oh, it was such a great theatrical experience. Oh, you mean like as a post, um, post-promotion thing? Like to, keep, to keep the mode <laughs> going. Because people I- that there, there are legitimate human beings out there that are out there doing something. Yes. Besides sitting yes. there. Yeah, I think the, the separation from the digital experience, I mean, yeah. that going for a theatrical is yeah. a, almost a necessity. I feel like yeah. Spielberg played that card for the, you know, the hour okay. and a half. He was fighting Netflix <laughs> on, on that, that experience. He was credit. I mean, I give him credit. I mean. But it's yeah. also a legitimate argument of like, like, no kind of BS. We're not just making content. 
that can be consumed one show after the other, after the other, after the other, like we're doing in, yeah. in television. He almost, maybe his fight should have been to the content maker, the movie makers and saying, hey, buck up guys, we have to do theatrical experience here. We, we can't just be playing into the hands of this digital distribution. There's a cash to be made on that side, no doubt, but there's something happening. Yeah, I mean, he, he tried to play into the populist feel of the moment by saying, listen, the industry supports so many people from big name directors like myself down to the popcorn sellers in the theaters. This is all well and good, but at yeah. the same time, you gotta convince people to sit in a theater with potential recycled air wearing masks the entire time. Yeah. You have to convince them to get out of the house. And I think we're looking at, the, the saying is that if you can break a habit in 30 days. If you do something, nothing for 30 days, you break the habit. Well, people haven't been going to the theater for a well on almost 90 days beyond that. You've got to give them something to really want to walk, get up, put on the mask and go see it in the theater. Yeah. Uh, but I'll I, say this too, like you're making this point and it, it makes me wonder, you know, we have the big digital platforms that are pushing themselves out there. So we have Universal, um, you know, they have their digital platform and theatrical. Disney has its universe, uh, the digital platform and theatrical. Warner, like the Warner Brothers world, like they, you know, it makes me almost wonder if they're trying to separate themselves from the, from the others a little bit. Because uh, they have, they're backing up Chris here. And um, they're, the whole deal they just made with J.J. Abrams has to be something more of, of, of banking on his ability to create yeah. that theatrical need. He's the Spielberg of our day. He's telling stories in that same way. You kind of get the idea of like, it makes me wonder if Warner Brothers is taking a different trajectory and saying, oh, the theatrical experience isn't going to die. We're going to recreate it and we're going to invest in the filmmakers that do. Um, well, I think, again, this goes back to the um, Ann Sarnoff interview from yesterday. The way she's positioning it is basically we have all these pipelines now. So we have the theatrical experience, we have HBO Max, we have Turner, TNT, TBS. So any, any creator filmmaker can come to us and Toby Emmerich, who's the head of Warner Brothers, can say, I think this feels theatrical. Or he can say, I don't think this is theatrical. Go pitch it to HBO Max. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they're necessarily trying to delineate from everyone else they're just leaning harder into the idea that we have this bucket of options before us and we right. don't necessarily have to go full in on theatrical every single time. My counter to that would be like, well, you kind of had had these options before. Like you've always had TBS, TNT and Turner. The only difference is now you have a direct consumer service. That's really the only difference here that we're looking at. And it's only because the, the paradigm has shifted so much with the relationship between the exhibitors and distributors that they feel confident enough to say, okay, now we can say, well, we're not necessarily going to release this theatrically. And it's, it's a way to start off the conversation with, with the JJ Abrams of the world to say, listen, you come up with these ideas, we'll find a home for it. We have so many options. We have so many um, weapons in our, our palette. Now we'll find a home for it. And maybe it's exciting because the, the, the blockbuster world has kind of ruled Hollywood for so long and you had to have gotten lucky and get in on the inside and been one of the select few that can hit the blockbuster numbers over and over again. Yeah. Um, you almost wonder if this opens up the playing field to the, the filmmaker 
indie or not, like there's opportunity now to create films. And even the blockbusters can't be blockbusters anymore. So we're going to judge movies by a different matrix than just the total dollar count and opening weekend or yeah. whatever those old numbers are. We just can't, right. we can't judge a new way. Um, well, I, yeah, it goes uh, back to what we've been constantly talking about over the course of the last few weeks is like, even though there's a lot of disruption, disruption also creates opportunity. Mm. And to your point, I think there's just more, they're going to need to fill the pipelines with content. So it's going to enable filmmakers who may not necessarily have, because prior to the COVID, the COVID outbreak pandemic, there was this feeling that unless it was meant to be seen in a theater, studios weren't really going to invest a lot of time and money in it. Now it's like, well, it may, maybe you could do like a month long theatrical release and then jump, bounce it over to HBO Max. Yeah. So, I mean, the digital play out inside the studios, right? Yeah. They're creating more channels for that too. Yeah. Um, it also makes me think of like just the, the opportunity or maybe even just need for marketing, you know, LA and New York are shut down. So you can't get the two major domestic audiences into the theaters necessarily and, and get the numbers we want to. Um, but also recognize like, maybe we're going to go for like the per box office. I mean, per uh, screen number. Yeah. Um, and look at it that way. And what a different need for campaign. I mean, you're going to hit people in Midwest states and Southern states in a very different way than you hit the coastal cities, but you also might be making a different appeal. Um, yeah. If you're doing per screen, you might release films in a different uh, schedule than yeah. you're used to. Wisconsin might come out before Los Angeles. That would be insane. Uh, and old, old matrix, but like, no, if we're just trying to build up the per screen experience or the theatrical experiences, wherever people are willing to go, you can still find winning pockets, um, but the, the studios are going to have to kind of step a up a little bit and break out their marketing. Uh, yeah, I think, I think this is going to afford an opportunity for a lot of the studios to start uh, being more market targeting with their spots. Now, they've, they've typically done this digitally, obviously, because it's easier to micro target digitally, but you made a, great, made a great point. So, you know, New York and L.A. are still closed. Those are obviously where a bulk of the people who work in the industry live. And they are, everyone who works in the industry loves Christopher Nolan, not only because he's such a great spokesman for the business and the theatrical experience, but also because he just makes such damn cool movies. Amazing movies, and yeah. He, and most of his stuff is wholly original. It's not based on previous IP. So it, it's something that really excites a lot of people in the industry. So they know who he is. They know what he's made. Your average couple in the middle of the country probably doesn't know who Christopher Nolan is. Mm -hmm. So the messaging has to be different. So New York and LA, for example, would potentially be from the Academy Award winning nominated director of uh, Christopher Nolan. It would be the full name. In the middle of Texas, it might be from the director of the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, so it's sort of little things like that, to your point about boothing the screen per screen average, and that being more important than just the overall box office, because it's not necessarily going to be you're going to win the weekend because they're not they're not, they're going to win because nobody other, there's no other movie out there. It's a matter if they're going to have that steady run where it's going to be like, oh, this movie's really worth seeing. And again, you sort of break it down by market. And I think that's a real important opportunity for people who work in marketing to really start, start focusing their energies on sort of finding the areas and the messaging that's really going to drive audience versus sort of trying to one size fits all, which has been a typical campaign strategy. So here, here's the thing. So, and this goes to 
it goes to my past, but it goes to your clients is the, this thought of like, what would the movie trailer then be? Cause at trailer park, you know, back in the day, we were looking for the, the one trailer, like it was the trailer and it was released on Apple a lot, digitally in a lot of theaters and the same trailer everywhere. You wonder if the trailer making experience, right? The trailer producers are going to have to start thinking differently of like, I, I, is this I, I, director I, inception, yeah. <laughs> inception, what does that have to be different than? Well, here's the thing. I think it, it, it's a lot of it's intuitive, I think, but I'm a big fan of sort of setting a strategy before you go. I mean, a lot of the, the, the feeling in Hollywood these days is it's almost like ready, fire, aim is basically yeah. sort of throw it, spaghetti it, against the wall, see what sticks. Yeah, see yeah. what sticks. And that was sort of the idea when, you know, when I was at Fox, it was sort of like, okay, we got to just throw it, see what sticks. But I think now because it has to be so well thought out, I think it does need to be more strategic. And to your point, I think that's going to require a, a lot of thinking on, on sort of the creative and the trailer producers part and sort of figuring out what messaging works best in different parts of the country. Um, and it, it, to use a point, like I just mentioned, you know, your average person doesn't know who Christopher Nolan is. Yeah, here's, here's what they're going to need um, to see. Here's, like, here's what needs to be done. Like if when, you know, when a, a theatrical um, um, a movie is sent off to Europe, EM, you know, they hire a, a trailer editor in the UK, they try a trailer editor in Europe, and they recut the film for that marketplace. Here, here's how we say it in the United States, which is total crap, but this is how we say it. We're like, we make a trailer for LA and New York, the rest are flyover states. Like, it doesn't matter. We're going to capture the, the East and West. Right now, you can't capture East and West. So welcome to your new America strategy, domestic strategy, which is divide up the U.S. like we did divide up the European uh, Union and start making trailers and pieces there. What a great opportunity for the, the younger wannabe trailer companies. Oh, yeah. Recognize and have a pitch and be able to put some stuff out there. Yeah, to put some real thought into it. I mean, I, I'll use sort of Avatar as my case study as an example. And this was obviously, that was 2008, not 2009. Um, we were doing focus groups in like, Sherman Oaks, because that's quote unquote outside of LA. <laughs> yeah. But it's really not outside of LA. You can throw and a rocket at Sherman Oaks in LA. <laughs> knows who James Cameron is. But we realized because we went to places like Denver, Pittsburgh, outside of the LA, New York bubble, nobody remembered who James Cameron was because he hadn't made a film in 12 years. Mm -hmm. So what did we have to do? Well, our last trailer was basically his resume. It was all to come see the movie that this guy who all these movies you remember from Terminator to Titanic. Titanic. It was a little movie we made back in the day. <laughs> Lies. I mean, all these awesome movies that you are just fantastic. Come see this movie. And I mean, listen, that's where we kind of are right now. It's sort of like you can't just rely on what your gut instinct is in L.A. and New York. I mean, one of my former bosses at Fox, we used to say movies are made by people who live behind gates and work behind gates. And 90% of the country die, does neither. So that's sort of, that's where the opportunity, you're 100% right on that, Tim, for younger sort of upstart trailer companies to come in and say, hey, we're based in, I have editors in Pittsburgh. So I got people who know the Midwest market. I don't have just a typical New York editor who's gonna cut it and use the same sound effects, la, 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 la. 
I got a different perspective. Yeah, the script writing has to be different. The editorials. You think it, it's and a just, lot of the selects might be the same, so you can cut down. Yeah. And you I can mean, there's still the universal aspects of film that just touch yeah. everybody, no matter where you live and what your political persuasion is. But this is an opportunity to really start sort of getting people where they, they you know, eat, sleep, and live, because ultimately that's what is going to need to happen. Because you're, it goes back to a point I've been harping. If a lot of the exhibitors think that if they can just say, hey, we're open, but, you know, we're going to wear masks and spray disinfectant yeah. everywhere and expect people to show up. No. It it's, might not be where people uh, live, too. It's just got to be the, the executives thinking through the different uh, yes. markets as well and knowing what the experience is. Right now, the whole industry has been has a diaspora. We're everywhere. Like yeah. you know, L.A. editors are now in Dallas. Like there's yeah. nobody is sitting where they used to sit anymore. Yeah. Yep. But the, and that might be part of the opportunity as well is, is take that up. Um, mm -hmm. You know, speaking of movie trailers, I'm going to hit um, one of your, your favorite campaigns out there because I know you love cinema. So this <laughs> love campaign has got to just be just pulling your heartstrings, Keith. Isn't that just exactly what you're looking for? Uh, you know, okay, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you don't because it really wasn't a great campaign. It, uh, love Cinema is, I, I believe, a campaign launched by um, exhibitors to get people back in theaters. And I have to say, I, I'm, I, in all deference to anyone who worked their butts off on this campaign, I was not impressed. Um, you know, not only were you not impressed, I have like a text message string about just how your, your real feelings are about the Love Cinema campaign. And I, I'm going to keep this G-rated. <laughs> so I don't want to start throwing F-bombs as much as I'd love to. But, um, you know, I, I think I applaud the effort. I'm going to I'm going to try to be diplomatic here. It's, it's real work. The there's no there's it's real work to get something like that done. Yeah, we're not it's real that. work. And I, I don't want to. Where does it hit them? Where does it miss the mark? I think it misses the mark. I mean, if you go on the site itself. The, it just plays a, a sizzle of movies, of people looking at screens. And I'm like, come on, guys. We're the most, we're supposedly the, the heartbeat of creativity in the world. And this is the best you guys could come up with? Well, here, here's, a, here's where I think it misses the mark, right? Uh, I already see that sizzle reel on my computer screen. I already I see that sizzle reel on my television set. How does this draw me into the movie theater yeah. just because I'm Tell looking me. at a movie clips that, and most, and by the way, I'm a 50 year old man. Like I, I've consumed some of those in a the theater, but most of them on, on video, the generation yeah. below me only knows them digitally. Only knows it. So from you're digital. basically promoting a digital library, not a theatrical. Um, and it was just, it, I mean, it was comical. Like I tried to go in and click and see what theaters of, of a uh, low close to me were open. And guess what? Nothing came back. So it's like, you're getting me excited about this and nothing's open, but here's the bottom line. If it were me, what I would have done was I would have gone to sort of the big names in the business. I would have gone to Scorsese, Spielberg, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Tom Hanks. And I would have got them to start talking about just being in theater and what it means to go to theater. It has to be emotional. Mm -hmm. People have to feel. That's why people, that's why horrors and comedies are so, such great theatrical experiences because you, you feel those movies viscerally. And, uh, you know, one of the most memorable experiences I had from a theatrical experience, just to give a real quick example, was when I thought, saw Titanic in the theater for the first time. When that ship's ass was up in the air and was about to break apart, you could have heard a pin drop in the theater because everyone was so transfixed to be like, holy shit. Like, that's what they have to sell. That's what they have to remind people of. Yeah. If they just try to throw clips at people, it's just going to be like, 
Yeah. You know, well, it, 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 like you, and it, it gets me thinking about like, there's a lot of uh, parallel to almost like a religious experience. Like, experience. like we know where we are at the time when something happened and our life was changed by what we yeah. saw in the theater. Yes. So for yeah. me, it was I was living in Los Angeles. Um, I just moved down there within the last, uh, within a few months. And uh, I was working with whatever I was working with at the Gap or the wherever. And I went to a midnight movie because I, you know, I was living there by myself doing it. And I went to go see, you know, late, late movie, uh, went to see Rudy. And oh, after watching Rudy, I, the next morning I got in my car and I drove to Burbank Boulevard and I knocked on every single door. I'm like, oh, that's how you succeed. Yeah. And that movie literally changed my life and changed my career because it inspired me to go do something different. And yeah. movies, that, that experience or these testimonies of that experience is what's going to make people remember the importance of film. Consumption of media isn't, isn't it. Yeah, I mean, here, here's one more thing I just thought of and I have to bring up because it, it's ridiculous. In the, in, the, in the copy run, they say our lights are on. Come on! Everybody knows the theatrical experience. You get excited when the lights go down. I mean, play off that. I mean, it's very simple. I just pounded the, the table. This is how passionate I feel about this. Totally just, missed the mark on the lights yeah, are on. Like, yes, I mean, I just think it, it's such that's a- like the, That's like leave the theater. When the lights go on is when you exit. Be, You go for the exits when the lights come on. I mean, it's just, it's- basic marketing 101 it's like you're shooting yourself in the foot it's just next week we will have the hollywood breaks version of the love uh cinema campaign all worked out for you so yeah. <laughs> so keith can go to rest easy yeah so i can uh, yeah i, I yeah you know, I take you're, you're kind of hit on some of the experience and this this might be the, just wrapping it up but like we we made the point a couple of weeks ago the end of celebrity you know yeah. new york times came out with that article about mm -hmm. how the paparazzi they're following the influencers. They're not yeah. following the celebrities anymore. So yeah. there's something happening and probably be, uh, likely because in a cancel culture, the celebrities have too much to lose to be out yeah. doing things. Well, it's also- uh, There's nothing to lose. Yeah, you also have to think about the influencers that are, in, we're mostly talking largely about TikTok influencers and some Instagram, obviously, but it's because they still make their content. Like they are the director, writer, producer, star of everything they put out for the most part. Your typical actor needs a director. He needs a scriptwriter. He can't make his own content for the most part. Yeah. So, well, Farrell does a pretty good job of kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, there some, he's, he's don't get me wrong. Player. There are some who are very good at it. Yeah. And can sort of shoot from the cuff and are just, just entertain. Like, perfect example: Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. They are entertainers. They know how to get people. Anything they put out is just entertaining. It's just they just know how to entertain. Yeah, they're having a, they're having a fun time. But it, it's a. Uh, it's that evolution from that person on the pedestal celebrity, untouchable yeah. experience, because the only way you're going to be seen in that position is a, a crew of people turning you into that movie star, yeah. into this new a uh, economy that has, has people that are breaking through based off of their, their creative ability mm -hmm. and a, a mass appeal. But that switchover and the voices that are now relevant changes the game for a lot of people like you know the, the, uh, what the economy is how we're going to market them what we're going to push out from them and how important they become because yeah. i am almost afraid that like they're literally going to be famous for 15 minutes like the the amount of influence they'll have over a lifetime will be very segmented into smaller bites yeah. and what who's going to come out of this influencer marketplace into something the next evolution well then the, the, the big elephant in the room is what happens with tiktok 
the clock is ticking on TikTok because <laughs> September 19th, 20th is a deadline issued by President Trump to sell or be banned. So what happens then when most of the TikTok celebrities are U.S. based? Yeah, and I heard, um, so I think this TikTok was uh, one of the um, sponsors of the VMAs and um, they pulled out. I mean, it's not happening. So yeah, they're definitely uh, in for a fight or, or MTV pushed them out, whatever that and, breakup is. We but didn't they, talk about this, but it, it's almost old news at this point with the rap rapidity of which, how the news cycle moves. But Kevin Mayer's resignation, oh, yeah. three months after starting. Like he saw his, he left Disney to take this job. And now he's out of a work. He's out of a job because he's like, I, he, he didn't say it, but I, I think basically he's like, I don't like where this is going. And, you know, so he, that's not what he signed up for. He didn't want to get into a, you know, international battle. <laughs> or I think he was put in place to actually do the separation legitimately and probably hit more roadblocks than necessary. Yeah. And who knows if the federal government's helping or hurting that situation because you can solve a lot of problems from the in, inside instead of outside. <clears throat> but we're, what, what's interesting is the, um, the amount of people making content on TikTok and the news cycle is telling you it's not right. TikTok is doing something. If Facebook isn't get as much scrutiny as TikTok is, and we know Facebook breaks, breaks the, the privacy rules all the time, what do you think TikTok's doing? Like there's something happening that is a fair warning that, that needs to be broken up in this way. Yep. So um, very, very interesting playing field. And the evolution of our industry is moving into something that we have to capture. TikTok might not get away with it now, but give it a couple of years and there'll be another one that will get away with something. There'll be another one, be another one that'll come in and it'll become the new hot thing. And Yeah, yeah. There you go. And we probably know what it is now if I just looked at one of my 13-year-old um, stuff. Yeah, I, I, yeah you, would, you would have a better sense on sort of the <laughs> yeah. teenage I, I don't have teenagers yet. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what it'll be when they become teenagers. Right. <laughs> All I know is the, the uh, parents are making TikTok movies. TikTok is not what's relevant anymore. Right. <laughs> That's all I know. It's like it works. Exactly. exactly. All right, my friend, uh, listen, we, um, we're going to wrap this up today. We'll see you next week. And then there's a special episode we're going to record on September 16th. We're going to be with Very a exactly live exactly. studio audience. So that's going to be fun for us. We'll decide if we want to do two recordings that week or one. Um, yeah. But for those of you that are uh, watching this, we appreciate your, um, your viewing, um, whatever platform you're watching this on. Also a reminder that we are putting this out there in podcast. Um, we're going to use the RevThink channel to launch it and then We'll spin off and make our other um, other channel there. If you're listening to this on podcast, we appreciate you uh, watch the video series. We can, you can you can listen to it and watch it. And you can do both. So in all your binge watching time, please just join us and, and subscribe as you go we'll along. To you where you want it, when you want it, and how you want it. That's you can how listen to us jogging. Is. You can watch us in the car. Whatever works for you. We don't. <laughs> Keith, thank you again. And uh, always a pleasure, Tim. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. And we'll see you next week.